Hey, 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 everybody. Welcome to Harry Campbell Radio. My name is Harry Campbell, and on this season of HCR, I'm going to be talking to my guests about paradigm shifts and the way that we live in today's society. So stay tuned. Harry Campbell Radio is brought to you by Anchor. Anchor is a one-stop shop for all of your podcast needs. They have tools to help you edit and spread your podcast out throughout the internet. I love using Anchor mainly because it's completely free. There's no cost at all to use it. And it's an amazing platform. The user interface is extremely smooth and it's always easy to understand. So go online to Anchor FM today and get started. Hey everybody, welcome to Harry Campbell Radio. My name is Harry Campbell, and I'm here with my friend Dan Cummins. So Dan, it's uh, great to have you. Yeah, happy to be here. Looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, man, good stuff. So you're moving to my neck of the woods soon, I hear. Chicago, right? I am, yes. Just uh, four weeks away, I think, at this point. Dude, that's unreal. We're just, we're so psyched to have you. (laughs) Yeah, no, I'm really looking forward to it. I feel like, um, I mean, I've been planning the move for several months, but uh, March rolled around and it still felt like it was a very long way off. And then COVID-19 happened. And since then, I feel like everything's been a bit of a blur. And now next thing I know, I got to really start getting ready for it. Um, So yeah, it snuck up on me a little bit, but I'm, I'm definitely excited. Very cool. Very cool. So where have you spent uh, most of your quarantine? Um, so I live in Denver now. Um, and I've been mostly in Denver since the start of things. Um, my dad and stepmom actually live in Durango, Colorado, which is where I went to high school, as you probably know. Um, and so we went down there, my girlfriend and I, uh, for about, I think we were actually there for four weeks. We left just a couple of weeks into quarantine and weren't really sure how long we'd stay, but brought plenty of things and it was really nice down there and pretty much at the height of all the craziness. So I've been there and and here in Denver, my apartment. So it's been nice. As nice as it could be, I guess. (laughs) Right. You know, make the best of a a weird situation. Exactly. Um, How far of a drive is Durango from Denver? It's a good six hours. So it's far. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> Whenever I tell people, because most of my friends that aren't from Colorado are from Indiana or Illinois or the East coast and everything is like a four hour drive max, um, more likely a two hour drive. And so to think of a six hour drive across state and, and like corner to corner of Colorado would be like 10 hours. So yeah, it's a, it's a trek, but, um, and that's what makes it worth it to stay a little bit longer when we do make it. Oh yeah, no doubt. And that's, that's a full day of driving. And as someone from the Midwest, I can tell you that that is not like we could tackle that. I think you and I can do that pretty easy, <laughs> but you're exactly right. The folks otherwise would just struggle with it. It scares yeah, I was, Europeans. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm so used to it now though. Like I grew up, Hockey, my, my near, I played hockey all growing up. And so my nearest hockey game was four hours away. And I came to Denver all the time for hockey. 
and made this made that Denver to Durango, Durango to Denver drive just more times than I can care to count. So it's never been a big deal for me, but yeah. You know the route. I do, I do. Stop at the same subway every time. Oh, man. That's great. <laughs> That's funny. That's what we do on our way to uh, my grandparents' place up in uh, – they live like two and a half hours outside of Chicago, straight west. And so we would drive from Kansas City – and it's, yeah, it's like seven hours. Like, yeah. You know, it's six if you haul it. Right. Well, and you have a, and you have a subway that you stop at every time or something. Pretty much every time because it just like pleases everybody or Culver's. Dude, Why I don't do know. Oh, Culver's is fire. Um, subways. <laughs> I, I rarely go to subway anymore. And largely that's because it's funny you mention it on my way from, I would always make, cause I had my car in Bloomington when we were at IU. Um, and I would always drive and it's a brutal drive across your home state. Um, and then Missouri and Illinois. And I would, I stopped at this subway in Effingham, Illinois, um, on the way to college our senior year. And I remember because I left my mom's house in Santa Fe, New Mexico. My mom lives in Santa Fe. I left her house at 2 AM because I really wanted to get to Bloomington to party that night. And like, cause everyone was there and like going out and so I was like, fucking, I'm going to do it. I don't know if I can curse on your podcast. Um, Dude, fuck um, it. We're fine. <laughs> so I just, I went for it all in one shot and I stopped at a subway in Effingham, Illinois. And that subway gave me the worst, nah, maybe the second worst, but really bad food poisoning. And I was sick for like the first three days or two days that I got to. Oh my God. So no road trip subway stops for me anymore. And no you missed that up really at all. Well, I got to go out that night. It didn't really hit me until like 2 a.m., but then it hit me hard. <laughs> <laughs> Do you still tell people it was the it was the subway? Yeah, and a lot of people try to tell me that's BS, but I swear <laughs> to God it was the subway. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, well, you heard it here first. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was the it was the subway. It was uh, the subway. It was the subway. Um so you live close to your parents. That's your relationship with them has probably not changed. Like you communicate with them in the same way, or has that uh, become more or less frequent? Yeah. Um, probably the same. Um, when I moved, so for context, I guess you, you pretty much know this already, but I was in Washington DC for the first year and a half after graduating. Um, and then I moved to Denver and worked remotely and, when I was in Washington, D.C., I really didn't see a ton of my parents um, just because it's really far. But ever since I've been in Denver, I saw them much more frequently, my dad in particular. Um, but, yeah, the trip's really easy and we talk about the same. And and my dad works remotely and um, my mom's life hasn't been overly impacted by COVID, I guess you could say. Um, but so all is that all that's to say is that COVID-19 wasn't as much of a game changer on their lives as it was on many others. And me too, as I was working remotely, but, um, so yeah, it's, it stayed pretty consistent for me, I'd say. Yeah, that's cool. And that's sort of what I expected at least. Um, I imagine Durango is similar to Overland park where my parents live. It's everybody has a yard Everybody has a house. Um, 
you sort of just do less grocery shopping maybe and everybody yeah. works from home like correct me if i'm wrong but um yeah i think the overland park durango comparison might be a bit of a stretch but certainly yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um no but certainly in the way that i think people operate i mean durango is such a it's a town that completely revolves around outdoor sport and um adventure and so all right so it's a huge stretch then well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you said it, not me. But, but I think that's interesting because in Durango, like I go home to Durango and like everyone's still mountain biking, everyone's still hiking. They're doing it by themselves or with their close family members and not with friends and I think staying apart more, but they can still do the things that they love and the things that they um, care to do and that drew them to Durango in the first place. Cool. And that's what's important, right? Do what keeps you sane. Yeah. Do what makes you happy. Totally. You're a mountain biker. Yeah, yeah. A mountain bike, road bike, mostly road bike, but mountain biking, I've, I've done a lot more of this here. That's sick. Do you have a trail that's close, like, but within biking distance of your apartment? or um, I have to drive to most mountain bike trails. I mean, I ride my... I'd say I ride my road bike like 75% of the time and my mountain bike 25% of the time, but there's mountain bike trail just because it wouldn't make sense to like ride my mountain bike 10 miles to get to a trail, but it's, I could drive 15 minutes and be at a great trail, um, or drive an hour and be at a world-class trail. So yeah, I'm pretty spoiled and I'm not, (laughs) that won't be the case when I move to Chicago, but it's okay. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's it you may you know you do what you can right yeah exactly you do what you can that's cool um well awesome and then yeah. friends uh i so most everyone who i imagine you keep t- in touch with lives elsewhere um yeah has that changed like who you've been talking to through covid and how you've been talking to them like virtual happy hours or like yeah whatever else yeah it's funny um a few things i mean it's definitely changed the way that i communicate with people in it and it's one of the things that i find that i've thought about a, a few times is like my friends from high school who i'm still really close with and several of whom live here in denver um but like for the longest time for all through college and then the three years after like we would text, we would see each other when we were in Durango or visit each other occasionally, but like we wouldn't stay that much, stay in that close of contact. Um, and with COVID, like we were like, Oh, let's set up a virtual happy hour. And it's like, well, why didn't we do this before? Like we could all like hop on this tools. These tools have been here forever. Like there's nothing stopping us from connecting otherwise. But yeah, I mean, in that way, I think it's been great. I, 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 I feel it personally. And I talk to a lot of people that have said they've reconnected with folks um, just because I think we all feel the isolation a little bit and the, I don't know, lone, loneliness that comes along along with that and the desire to connect with people, even if it is virtually, I think is really strong and has pushed people toward that. And so, yeah, I mean, like I play poker with friends occasionally virtually and random zoom happy hours and and such, which is nice. I really like it. And I, I hope it's a trend that continues, um, once things 
I hate to say like, once things go back to normal, because I don't think there will ever be a normal, <laughs> um, but once things begin to normalize, I guess you could say, uh, just because, I mean, like you, you and me both probably just have friends from all over the country. We went to a co- we went to high school, one place, went to college, a totally different place. And our friends really branched out from there. So I think that the tools we have now and the sort of proof of context concept that you can use them to keep in touch with friends and they don't have to be like all business focused, I think is one positive that will come of this. At least I hope. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, and it's interesting you say that it's with people who you typically don't connect with because I would say that I would not usually connect with, um, one of the guys on a previous episode who I love talking to, but we just don't have a ton in common. And I feel like this was our chance to connect. The perfect opportunity. Yeah. The yeah. perfect opportunity. Exactly. And it sort of called out to, to me to at least do something right. Call him or, give purpose to the conversation in some way. And I think that was what the main part was for, for me, at least in the very beginning, the kernel of inspiration was giving purpose to a conversation uh, through a medium that already existed. And also just because it's a dumb hobby, right? Like the combination of the two is amazing for me. Like you just. (laughs) No. Yeah. And that, that is a really good point. (laughs) I mean, we all, I, I'm trying to play my guitar and you, you started a podcast. So great, great for both. How's that going? I, I definitely, uh, it's okay. It's, it's, I'm not much better than I was when I, when quarantine began. Why don't we Mostly ask, say, why don't we ask your play. girlfriend, see what she's, yeah, I yeah. think she'll give a more honest opinion about it. My, my <laughs> golf game, my golf game has improved a lot more than my guitar playing has, but. Oh, toss um, around the, you swing in the sticks. <laughs> swinging the sticks that's a new one for me yeah yeah quite a bit. uh uh mr uh, the guy i was talking to you today who i got drinks with was saying yeah. that you were swinging sticks oh yeah and uh he was swinging sticks as well which honestly good for him I don't know what this swinging sticks business is but i like it you know oh, yeah, swinging yeah. sticks like yeah. we're swinging sticks around you've got sticks like well, no, no, it's true. I think golf golf is one of those games where, like, I think everybody, a lot, not everyone, but many people would like to be good at golf, but, like, <laughs> just never play. And I was certainly that way. Like, I would play when I visited my grandparents or when I, um, I don't know, felt like it, but very rarely. And then with COVID, it's like, for a long time, it was one of the only things you could really do outside, um, besides, like, hiking and, and stuff. Um and so a lot of my friends have played a bunch more golf with COVID. So yeah, I, I look forward to moving to Chicago and playing with many of our friends um, Definitely. and taking all of their money. Do, do, you, play, <laughs> do you play any golf? Let's pump the brakes there, Mr. Cummins. <laughs> uh, you will take my money. I will tell you that because I do, <laughs> I do not play. Um, yeah, I'm we not, can, I'm not smack it around on the tennis court and you know have a little fun but you know i'm all for it hey let's do it um 
it was actually in Michigan where I got a few relatives there up in Detroit. They were saying that the only things that really never closed were golf courses. Yeah. Cause they could never stop people from walking on. Well that, and it's inherently socially distant. I mean, if you follow the rules, right? Like I could play around a golf with someone and never come within 10 feet of them, <laughs> which is great <laughs> in a lot of ways. <laughs> Uh, there's not very many people that I desire to be within <laughs> 10 feet of anyways. So. <laughs> I don't hate anybody, but there are certain people which this whole six foot thing is just a blessing in disguise. Well, yeah. And like awkward handshakes, you just get rid of those, like just wave. <laughs> you don't, you don't need it. But I don't, I don't know if you watch the match with Phil and Tiger and Tom Brady and Peyton Manning, but. I think one of my favorite. I heard about it. I should have watched it. One of my favorite parts of that was when Phil Mickelson seemed to be the only person on uh, of the four that was like trying to not uh, come in physical contact with anyone else. <laughs> so like Tom hit like his only good shot of the entire round and like went to high five or give Phil a handshake and Phil was like, oh, and <laughs> it was the most awkward exchange ever. Um, but yeah, I mean, for the most part, that's gone away with um Mm -hmm. you don't have to agonize over the perfect handshake for the time being at least oh my god and i just got it down to years of practice you know you just like just firm enough like yeah you are you always were a weird handshaker no yeah it's fine with me i'm just fine (laughs) (laughs) it's i use too much lotion you know it feels clammy you know Yeah, yeah i get I get worried about being dry and then it's just like you slip right through the crack. It's bad, you know? Right. Feel you. But that's funny. How long do you think we're going to be working remotely? Oh boy. Uh, I mean, I think it depends on the person and the company and the situation. Uh, many of, many of my friends have gone back to the office and gone back to work. But I think that that's all going to change again. I mean, I, I don't see a path where this just is becomes okay. Um, I think we're probably going to think it's more likely than not that we're going to have to go into a pretty hard uh, shelter in place for, for many states again. So yeah, it could be until, I, I mean, probably in some way, shape or form until we have a vaccine that's widely used um i don't know it's it's hard for me to so i'm i'm currently unemployed for the time being just because i'm i'm taking i quit my job i think two and a half weeks ago i quit my job just to have some time off before starting school in the fall and my company in dc was they said after labor day was the earliest they'd go back but more likely than not would push it so i mean i wouldn't be surprised if it went all the way to 2021 for most places. And, and obviously like we've seen with Facebook and Twitter, all of these companies are basically saying, well, if you want to work remotely for ever, go for it. Like you've proven to us that we don't need you in the office. So that's what I'm saying. It's never going to be the same again in a lot of ways. Right. New normal. So when you go to school, do you expect to wear a mask in class? Yeah. So, um, I guess I can't even recall if I said this, but starting law school in 
um, in August and it's weird. <laughs> it's, I've, it's been a big source of anxiety and stress for me, honestly, the last couple of months. Um, I put, I took the LSAT in 2018 over two years, almost exactly two years ago, actually. Well, a little, a little over two years now. Uh, I applied all last year. I put an unbelievable amount of time and energy into taking the test and preparing my applications and applying to schools. Um, and so it was like this huge buildup, right? And then now there's like all this uncertainty. Oh, maybe you're at Zoom University. Who knows? You could be all online classes. Uh, Harvard University uh, or Harvard Law School, Berkeley Law School, and several others have announced that they're going to be completely online. And um, that obviously raised the question of, okay, well now are the floodgates open? Like, is every other school going to follow suit? And, um, Northwestern where I'm going has, they've sent us some cryptic emails and vague emails about what they're planning on doing. And at least what they've said so far has, has been that they're going to do some form of hybrid classes, um, like maybe half online, half in person, but with the, uh, prioritizing in-person first year classes, which is good for me. Um, in a sense, I guess, but yeah, definitely going to be masks and social distancing and reduced class sizes and remote learning and orientation is all online. Um, so these are the things they've said now, and we're still seven weeks away pretty much, I think from the beginning of orientation. And so everything could change between now and then, like in Chicago cases could go up like we've seen in other States across the country and cause them to go all online. So I don't know. I was pretty stressed about it for a while, but trying to have surrendered to it a little bit, I think um, I'm just going to have to go with, go with the flow and roll with the punches and try to make the best of whatever the situation ends up being. And that's exactly what I expected from you. Like your <laughs> mentality, at least like the way you think about things, like that's definitely par for the course for, for you, like that, that, that doesn't surprise me. That sort of Man. like, like consistent Great. optimism. I've, I've got you, I've got you fooled then because internally it's a different story, but I don't give a fuck how much sleep you're, you're losing. Like we... <laughs> Perception is there. Oh yeah. I mean, the brand is on point. So what else does the public really need? Right. Yeah. Well, that's good. The, thing about 2021 is I think you're right. I think that the uh, office policy that my company put in place, which has us going back after um, uh, 28 days of lowered cases coupled with mass testing. Every, every day has to be, every day has to be lower or 28, like a decline over a 28 day period. Because if that, well, I guess if that were the case, then we'd be back now. But that's the thing I don't understand is, right? Like yeah. it's 14-day decline. But what if like one day you have 20 more positive cases, but the next, I don't know. I think that There's reasonable so people that would clear. consider that an, like an anomaly. Yeah. Because with mass, te- like with mass testing, I don't think that like 20 case would, cases would make a huge yeah. difference. Right. Maybe it's And like it a probably average, depends like, on when it happens, when it happens. Because if yeah. you're like five days in and then there's an increase in cases, people would probably say, we're not ready again. 
But if we're 20 days in and then there's an increase in 20 cases, which. And then it continues to go down. Yeah. Maybe it's like a rolling average, like a mm-hmm. daily average decrease of X number of cases. But yeah, I mean, these are mm-hmm. the things that I think, and it's funny, right? Like your, your company 28 days and my former company after Labor Day, like I find employees and consumers and the public in general is like placing so much they're placing a lot of burden on employers to have answers for them. And, and certainly it's the case for law school. Like I want, I want so badly for Northwestern to just like have the answers for me, but we have to understand that they don't, they, they know just as little as we do and every, everything that could change in the world and the news and um, all of that, like, they're going to have to adapt to that just like we are. So what role do you think liability and like personal lawsuits play? Oh my God. All this. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be, there's going to be a never ending. I feel like it's just going to be a very long list of suits. Um, It's really interesting. I maybe, I mean, from like an employee suing an employer i'm sure it'll happen i'm not uh, like I'm, I'm just about to enter law school so i am no expert on the topic um but i feel like there's some sort of shield that employers have like if they i mean if they just had their employees agree that if they come back to the office it's not required it's um they accept the risk of coming back i don't know something like that but what I think Maybe is more interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And I mean, what I think is more interesting is the lawsuits. Like one thing that really interested me was it must've been in April and it's a story that I've wanted to follow up on, but I heard it in the daily and it was about a prisoner on Rikers Island um, who was, you know, his, his prison situation was a dorm room with like dozens of other guys. Um, and one of them tested positive and for weeks. And, and this prisoner in particular had just had a lung sur- a surgery on his lungs, um, was like severely immunocompromised uh, and the perfect candidate for complications from COVID-19. And one of the prisoners on his block tested positive. The prison did nothing. The state did nothing. There's this whole battle over whether prisoners should be um, let out during COVID-19 under certain cir- certain circumstances like nonviolent offenders and so forth, so forth. Um, just because prisons inherently are, they're like Petri dishes for COVID-19. And so I think there's for sure going to be lawsuits that come against the state um, and against departments of correction and things like that um, for subjecting prisoners to unsanitary conditions that could threaten their lives. And certainly if prisoners do lose their lives to COVID-19, which I know people already have. So that's going to raise a whole suite of lawsuits. And yeah, I mean, the list goes on. That's just one example, but it's going to be crazy. I mean, and I think there could be some really big cases too. So I'll be interested to learn about those in my law school classes as they unfold. (laughs) I think it'll be a chapter. It'll yeah, be, it'll I mean, be at least there's, there'll be a case study. 
well, for everything, you know, for law, for business, for um, housing, for healthcare, it just, the list goes on. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's like (laughs) my boss when, I, I mean, I worked in, so my career was in PR and communications and public affairs before quitting and preparing for law school. And so, you know, we're the people writing blog posts and press releases and um, communicating with the media and communicating with uh, employees about COVID-19 when all of this started to break. And like, as you've probably seen all over social media, like all of the flack people are getting for repeating these unprecedented times, these challenging times, um, all this like recycled language. And my boss, like one thing she was, she always made a point to say like these historic times. And I mean, they are historic. Like we're living through a very important chapter of history that will be talked about for decades. Yes, absolutely. And honestly, I don't think we have had anything that shifts the global mindset of people in our lifetimes. I mean, the American mindset was obviously shifted by 9-11. 9-11, yeah, um, I mean. But other than that, some people consider the 2008 economic crisis as sort of an American like shift in things. I don't consider it that. I think it was an economic shift, but I don't think that there was as much of a societal change like in every aspect of what we're doing uh as a result of the housing crisis in 2008. Yeah, and that's a tricky one because I mean that crisis impacted so many people so significantly, but it didn't have that same impact on a lot of others whereas this, I mean no one is exempt really at least to a certain degree. Like rich people are certainly the fortunate ones and that they can live in their fancy houses and um pretty much weather this storm without too much concern over where their next meal is going to come from or next paycheck is going to come from, but they're still impacted to a certain degree, I guess. But yeah. I mean, it's hard to, there's very few, there, there's very few. And I think it's the financial crisis in nine 11 that we can really compare it to like something that was had such a major impact on society. Um, and yeah, this is <laughs> when, when this all started, I, I don't think any of us expected it us to be now at the end of June and pretty much staring down an entire July, August, fall, winter of a continuation of this. I mean, when, when everything shut down here, I think um, I expected it to be a a few weeks and then for it to be over. So it's, Mm -hmm. it's wild. It is wild. It's so wild. It's, it's, it's exactly what you were saying. It's, it was, what we thought was isolated in China and going to stay there. There were a few cases in the U S it kept getting worse. Unsymptomatic, insymptomatic people were everywhere traveling around that NYT article about unknown carriers that I read recently. Um, I think it was well, like it was probably very well researched and well done, but the unknowns were just so many that there were so many gaps. And I think that was the main takeaway from this article was that we really just don't know what's, what's going on. Right. And that's what's causing everybody like to be uh, non-exempt from this whole thing. And you're right. The rich people do um, 
like the wealthiest people are sort of less impacted because they're less, they're the typically less, uh, well, where's the they, word? they have, they have certain comforts and, and well, the biggest thing is yeah. they have enough money to get through it. <laughs> um, Pre-existing conditions. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Because like be, being in poverty, obviously like statistically causes more health risks, which Absolutely. is just a terrible correlation. Right. Which is why we're seeing black and Latino populations being more significantly impacted by the virus. And, mm-hmm. and that is true for so many other diseases and health conditions. But yeah, I mean, and, and your point, I take your point too, for sure. Like, I I traveled to Asia in February when this virus, the coronavirus, was very much like a Wuhan province of China virus. Like, and at that point, and I think for the public, um, you're totally right. Like, we how how would we know? Like, how would we? We didn't have anything to, to compare it to. Um, we weren't sure what was going to happen, et cetera. And so naturally, we were like, okay, well, it's probably going to be fine. Where I think that changes is with our government and our response to the coronavirus and how poorly managed that was. Because while the public was like, okay, we're not really sure what's going on, like the alarm bells were flashing for a long time at the highest levels of the US government, of governments around the world, and we failed to act. And we're now really seeing the the true impact of that and you know you probably don't want this podcast to turn into a lengthy political conversation about um coronavirus and all that but uh i guess that's i do just one <laughs> oh okay very much so <laughs> so you well, thought the response was subpar i totally oh, oh my god like just beyond <laughs> awful tell I me mean, about this well, I, I mean, it starts with the president and ends with the president and continues to be the president. Um, and, you know, the downplaying of the virus from from the get-go, saying there was going to be, we only have 15 cases, it's going to be gone before we know it. And to this day, continuing to um, contradict some of our nation's best public health experts in press conferences um, and tweets, for sure. So, I mean, uh, it's disappointing to see, but, <laughs> and, and beyond, like, we could have a whole lengthy conversation about Donald Trump's reaction to the coronavirus, which um, I'd be happy to have. But more important, like, one of the most fascinating things that I've liked to talk to people about with coronavirus, um, and especially it happening, like, the beginning of the pandemic was right after Super Tuesday, the um, Democratic primary was very much like still contested. Um, and well, I guess Biden was pretty much solidifying himself when we locked things down. But a presidential year, like 2020, I think that's one of the things we forget is that this is a presidential year. Um, and and on the Democratic side, at least, it was very much a, a determination between um, establishment politics in Joe Biden um, or progressive politics and Bernie Sanders. Uh, and what's been interesting to me through the coronavirus is like, I, I would think that this happening, this pandemic, this crisis is a thing that a lot of Americans need to see, like why we need 
a more well-developed healthcare system, why the status quo is unacceptable, why having um, like stimulus, stimulus payments to Americans directly is a completely like that's a socialist policy. And, and we need we need those systems in place. And if there's any case study as to why those things make sense in a, in a lot of different situations, I think this is it. I don't think that connection has really been made by anyone of influence that has resonated with the public. But um, yeah, I mean, I think that this pandemic has showcased a lot of the things that are completely broken in our way of operating from healthcare to the economy um, and any other issue you could, could possibly think of. Um, there's a lot that needs to be improved. Um, and so I'm really interested to see how that shakes out with this election. And I mean, on top of that, <laughs> yeah, I, so anyways, uh, it's crazy. On top well, of yeah, that. And I just, and I just, well, I just feel like I should say on top of that, we're dealing with um, historical racial inequities and systematic racism in every aspect of American society coming to a head and people realizing how serious that is needs to change. And so, I mean, it's very much an inflection point. It's very much a historic time. And man, I just, I don't know what's going to happen, but I am very much on the edge of my seat. And I hope that we get this right because people will remember. Yeah. Well said. So anyways, I'll get get off my soapbox now, but. uh, This whole thing is a soapbox, man. I'm up here with you. Yeah. Um, I'm a Bernie guy. Yeah. I'm I'm a huge fan of his. Uh, he inspires political change. And I think you put it very well when you said that it was either uh, Joe Biden and the norm or Bernie and change. And you said it differently. But I think that was yeah. the point of it. Well, yeah. Right. Like, and 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 I, I'll make it clear. Like, I'm not a I'm, I'm not a, a Bernie guy. I was I was a big Pete Buttigieg supporter. Um, Biden was not my first choice, but I am all for him now. But I mean, yeah. But it, it's this, and I don't think that any all of Bernie Sanders' proposed policies were right. I certainly don't think that's the case for Joe Biden either. But I just think it's fascinating to see how the, those differences in policies square with one another and. I, I don't know what's going to be realistic in the next five years, but certainly the conversation's not going away. And that, at least for democratic politics, um, that's going to continue to be the uh, the big divide. And there's going to be, there are going to continue to be fewer Joe Bidens in this world and a lot more Charles Booker's, Jim Harrison's and um, progressive politicians. Andrew Yang. Gonna... <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. UBI, man. <laughs> it happened already. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's good. That's good. Um, so. Yeah. Well, that's cool. So cultural shifts. Um, you, de- you mentioned uh, racial inequality and racial injustice, and I think that's such a huge thing. And uh, again, the guy that I was getting drinks with today said 
something really well. And he said, I'm not going to pretend to understand, like I know what I'm talking about, but I want to feel like what I'm doing at this moment in time means that I'm trying to change. And I thought that that was very meaningful. Well, right. And I think that's the first step that needs to happen for so many of us is just that acknowledgement. And there's a lot of steps that also need to happen after that. Like that can't be the first and only step, but the desire to want to learn and understand and change is so crucial and something that, I mean, this is the first time that I've seen that level of desire from so many different people, right, left, center. I think finally that message is resonating with a lot of Americans. Um, and yeah, it's, it's unbelievable. And <laughs> I mean, the, the knowledge is endless. Like you can, you could spend your whole life reading and learning about um, systematic racism in this country. And there'd still be more to learn because that's how deep the well is, um, how many years it spans and how pervasive it still is today. And so, yeah, for me too, it's, it's very much a learning process, but then also trying to figure out what can I do in my personal life and professional life to have an impact on these things. So, yeah, it's crazy. I mean, I, I just, I actually started reading, um, I started reading just mercy by Brian Stevenson, um, right before George Floyd, like maybe two weeks before George Floyd was murdered. Um, and then I finished it shortly after. And I mean, that was like, it was really powerful to have, cause that book was really, um, it was a powerful read and something that hit me really hard. And then it was compounded by the current events and the book focuses really specifically on a case in the 1980s that it's just unfathomable to think of the, um, to think of the racism that existed just 40 years ago in our judicial system, not just in like how people treated one another publicly, but in our judicial system and criminal justice system. And it's still so bad in so many parts of this country. Um, so that was a huge, I, like awakening for me personally. Um, and it's cool to, it's cool to see other people sharing in that feeling, um, and starting to act. It's unbelievable. Yeah. I just hope it doesn't stop. There's so much more to be done. So <laughs> there really is. Um, yeah, you're exactly right. And we can't just stop here, right? Like we can't just stop with, um, censoring, racist episodes of South Park and censoring whatever, you know, you know, yada, yada, right. We got to actually dig into what's meaningful for the people who feel oppressed and say, I believe you, you know? And I think that's one of the strongest things that I I was talking to my mom about this and she's got a very enlightened point of view on it, which I respect a lot, obviously, because she's my mom, but she's like, very smart about this kind of thing. And she was saying that being a good listener just means hearing from someone who's going through some sort of racial injustice and thinking, I believe you, which I was like, Oh, wow. That's 
like I would never, never, I would have never considered something like that. Um, even something so simple, but I think it's sort of at the root of all yeah. of this, all that at the root of all this is just, I believe you. And because I believe you, I want to change and I want things to change. So that yeah. was, well, that's huge. And, and, and I think from, because this movement has been met, I think every turn the black lives matter movement and has been met with resistance and opposition, like no, all lives matter. No blue lives matter. Um, but like in saying that, and you're, you're, there's, those are rebuttals to the black lives matter movement, which is equivalent in my eyes to saying black lives don't matter. This is not a conversation about anything else. It's a conversation of the worth of black lives. And yeah, I, I, I think it's something that we're going to have to continue to grapple with as a country. Um, and it's going to be difficult and it's not going to be fun and we're going to lose friends over it. Um, something we have to be willing to do as a collective. I think if anything's going to change and we got to vote, I just voted last week, which I was stoked to do. And in fact, the Colorado primary results should be starting to come in any time now, which I'm very interested to see. We have one of the most contested, one, one of the most vulnerable Republican senators in Colorado. Um, who's up for re-election this year. So it should be interesting. So we're deciding which Democrat gets to square off with him in November. Nice. That's, uh, are you voting for the one who you want to win or the one who has a good shot? The one that I want to win. Um, and it looks like they've already called it for the, <laughs> the other guy. Oh, <laughs> man. Let me oh, see. Boy. Uh, anyways. Uh, so yeah, yeah, it's not looking good for my guy, but it's okay. Damn. Um, it's all right. the the other The other candidate, John Hickenlooper, is um, capable in some ways, um, in many ways, and mm. um, is worlds better than Cory Gardner, who he's running will run against in November. So, mm. have my support. Cool. Good stuff. Yeah. That's a lot of fun. Um, so you do a lot of uh, exercising outdoors. Um, do you do a lot of, do you go to the gym at all? Or do you um, exercise otherwise? Not really. I mean, biking is definitely my primary form of exercise. Um, my apartment gym did just open. I think I went once, but I'm still trying to be a little cautious with that. Um, so yeah, I mean, biking does it for me. I think also like there's this narrative on Twitter and elsewhere that like everyone's going to come out of, and, and this was, I think more true at the beginning of coronavirus that everyone was going to like come out of COVID-19 fat or out of shape, but like there's so much you can do with the yoga mat in 30 minutes. So try to stretch, I try to do push-ups. I ride my bike and that's enough for me. So stay yeah. healthy. I'm trying to be net well. zero. Yeah. You know, like come out of this thing, no fatter or no skinnier <laughs> came into it. Like I, there you go. <laughs> I think that's a good that's goal. That's commendable. And whatever works for you, you know, like. I think that's, that's the matters. whole moral of this thing. Yeah. You know, like whatever works for nope. you no one person's experience is better than another's or no. correct. 
No. But you always, everyone has to stretch. I don't care who you are. You always got to stretch. I know. Just... That's like my biggest thing, dude. Oh, my God. Uh, I went on such a long bike ride today, and I didn't stretch enough after, and I'm probably going to be screwed because of it tomorrow. What are you doing here with but, me? You should be stretching. Uh, I know. Man, we should take a little stretch break here. Yeah. <laughs> not, not actually. Have a nice bath. Yeah. Have a have a heat pad. I don't know. Yeah. Well, cool. Um, this was great, Dan. Yeah. I really appreciate it. Um, Thanks for coming on. Yeah. Thank you for having me. And I really look forward to seeing the show continue to grow. I think what you're doing is really cool um, and productive. And that's, I think more than a lot of people can say. So you should hold your hat on it. So well, I hope you'll have me back. I, I want to be a recurring guest on H- HCR. Season two, Fringe Freaks. All right, let's go. <laughs> we'll make it happen. I'm ready for it. Thanks cool. again, man. Yeah. All right, yeah. Talk have soon. Rest of your night. You too, man. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in today, folks. Um, today's call to action is super important. Uh, with civil unju- injustice in the world today, I think that sitting on the sidelines is not something that we can afford to do. If you follow the link to one of the great organizations in the bio and donate just a little bit of money, it would be greatly appreciated. Thank you very much.